the privilege of introducing Eric Mottern, who is coming to share with us. The personnel committee has been meeting with Eric and I believe that he is one God's working with to come here to lead our youth and encourage you to listen attentively with hearts to the Lord. We all want God's will. And so I'm going to ask Eric uh, this time to come. He's a local fellow. He's right from Bluff City, right down the road. And I'll let him share more from his heart. And, and to deliver this message and to see what uh, the Lord has laid on me for uh, for youth ministry. And uh, But I just um, hope there is not a quiz afterwards on the names of the people that I've met this morning as a condition of my coming. Because uh, I will almost surely fail, so but it takes me time to learn names. One of my uh, favorite uh, sayings is by uh, Albert Einstein, and it was his definition of insanity. And you may have heard it, uh, or you may not have known it. It came from him, but it was, uh, I think, a, an apt definition. And his definition of insanity was doing the same thing the same way over and over again but expecting different results now as I stand up here today I say this youth ministry for the past however long it's been done for certainly the past couple of decades has focused too much on youth now let me repeat that just in case you may have thought you were uh, heard me wrong. The guy that is coming and seeking the youth ministry position here has just said that for too long youth ministry has focused too much on youth. Now let me tell you why. In his book, uh, A Parent Privilege, which is really good, Steve Wright says, by the time of graduation, two-thirds of our youth are leaving church. And then some more statistics here, uh, just uh, some astounding stuff. Yeah, uh, he said, uh, this is from a, uh, a researcher. He says, let me see who this is by for. David Kinnaman is, uh, does Christian research. He says, in virtually every student, in, in virtually every study we conduct, representing thousands of interviews every year, Born-again Christians fail to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. Most of the lifestyle activities of born-again Christians are statistically equivalent to those of non-born-agains. When asked to identify their activities over the last 30 days, born-again believers were just as likely to bet or gamble, to visit pornographic websites, to take something that did not belong to them, to consult a medium or psychic, to physically fight or abuse someone, to have, to have consumed enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk, to have used illegal, non-prescription drugs, or to have said something about someone that was not true. He says, no difference. And then just uh, uh, once again here, it says, baby boomers self-reported that the main goals for life are a good family and a good marriage. This generation of young people self-reports that their main goals are personal fame and wealth. And then Gallup, 
poll showed that uh, determined that the majority of Americans believe divorce, gambling, and premarital sex passed the test of moral acceptability. Now you're probably wondering, what's uh, so what? These statistics are dealing with Americans in general and and adults. Well, we have to remember that these adults were one time at one time youth, and that a large or a pretty good chunk of them, I would think, also attended youth ministries and attended church. And so, you're probably thinking this morning, you know, then what is the solution if focusing on youth is not the solution? What is the solution? I want you to turn to um, Psalm 78. Psalm 78. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 8. And, and we're going to seek the solution there. And I, and I, I call this, you know, going back to basics, going back to God's plan for uh, what He has, really. And uh, we'll start out in uh, verse 1, and we'll work through uh, verse 8. Psalm 78, verse 1. It says, O my people, I'm using the uh, New Living Translation as well, by the way. It says, O my people, listen to my teaching. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and know, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children, but we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. We will tell of his power and the mighty and the mighty miracles he did. For he issued his decree to Jacob. He gave his law to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, that they in turn might teach their children. So each generation can set its hope anew on God remembering his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Now as we look at this, there is no prescription in here. There is no description of in, in here of the position of which I seek. What you see here and what is written here is God's plan is is how God wants us to pass along the gospel. And that is we are to teach our children. If you look at verses 2 through 5, it says several times, you know, we are to teach these lessons from our past. You know, the stories that our ancestors handed down to us. He commanded our, in verse 5, in the latter part, he says, He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them. And I am convinced, after working with youth, working with children, and looking around at adults as well, that our values and beliefs are more often caught than they are taught. In other words, our lives speak to those around us, especially our children. Now we have come in our Western context that we want to 
turn these things over to pastors and experts. And we are certainly commanded in Scripture that, you know, we are to go to church. But what I'm saying here this morning is, in verses 2 through 5, God has given his, his, his prescription, his description also, also of how we are to teach the next generation and train the next generation. And it begins at home. And we also see, coming in, in uh, verses 6 through 8, he gives us the reason for this. I found this interesting. It says, so the next, uh, uh, just a continuation from 5, he says, so the next generation might know them, uh, talking about the commandments of the Lord, even the children not yet born, that they in turn might teach their children. So each generation can set its hope anew on God, remembering his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. This is, this is supposed to be more than simply fire insurance. It is not simply about being saved in, in our, in our Current Christian parlance language. We're given three reasons here in verses 6 through 8 as to why our parents should be the primary evangelists and disciplers of their children. The first is so that the next generation might know the Lord. When you raise your children up and they know the Lord, then they can raise their children up to know the Lord. And they can become the evangelists and the disciplers of their children. Also in verse 7, we see that, um, I like that, it says, So each generation can set its hope anew in God. Not only are we supposed to pass along to, from generation to generation, it is so each generation can place their own hope in God so that they realize that that's where their hope is. And the third one is, we see in verse 8, it says, Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. We do not want our children or our children's children to be left in, as unbelievers and to face the wrath of God. So what we see here in verses one through eight, just as kind of a, um, as a kind of a recap, we see God's prescription and His description of how we are to pass along the gospel to a, uh, our next generation. We are to teach our children, and it is to be the parents' primary responsibility to do so. And the three reasons are that uh, so that each generation, so it can be passed from generation to generation, but it can also, each generation then can renew its hope in God and have hope in God. The third reason is so that each generation is lost and they can have that hope in God. And they do not become like some of our ancestors who have turned away and who doubt 
And so, but now you're probably thinking, so what is this guy going to do when he comes here? What is this going to look like? Well, what I'm proposing and what I've studied the past few years and is becoming, uh, thankfully it seems like, more and more common is a family-based approach to youth ministry and also a mentor-based approach. If you will, you can turn over to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And this is a um, very well known among the uh, Jewish community. It's called the Shema, I think. And beginning in verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is the Lord. I'm sorry, let me get back up. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on uh, away on a journey, when you are lying down and when you are getting up. Tie them to your, hand, to your hands as a reminder and wear them on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That is going to be the model, a mentoring model in, my, in the youth ministry here, if I, am, if, if I am chosen. We're going to use, uh, it's, it's, what it's going to be designed to do is simply just build relationships with the youth. Get to know the youth. And that's going to be conducted more uh, throughout the week. It's going to be more than just on Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever we have our uh, times. There's going to be time spent throughout the week for those who choose to uh, uh, to volunteer and to work. You're going to spend a, a certain number of hours throughout the week with a group of teenagers in a small group. It doesn't have to be complicated. Building a doghouse or going to the grocery store. But the point is to build relationships. Because I go back to my point. Our values and beliefs are more caught than they are taught. And once again, I do not devalue the teaching ministry of the church or of our public schools. But if we but I believe if we were honest with ourselves, we would have to say that our values and beliefs were caught more than they were taught. I also want to help in giving the parents the resources that they need in order to um, be better evangelists, be better disciples of their youth. And that's going to be... Um, I'm not sure what that's going to look like yet, quite honestly. Because there are a lot of things out there and I need to uh, know this church and know the people here. But however it's done, however we accomplish that, it is going to be to make the parents and for those who do not have parents that come here, the mentors that 
take them on, give them the resources to be the evangelists and the disciples of these youth. And you're probably thinking, um, well, I'm not the most powerful influence in my child's life. You know, we hear all these things. You hear about peers, you hear about TV, uh, celebrities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Steve Wright deals with that as well in his book. I'm going to throw some more statistics at you. This one was my favorite and may very well, very well, Todd, get me not confirmed, but I'll, I'll, I'll start off with it. It says, in a national survey of 1,129 middle school students were asked what the greatest influence in their life was, and parents topped the list. The word, these are the results. Parents, 37% said that they were the primary influence in their lives. Second was friends at 22%. Third at 11% was church. And my personal favorite, youth pastor, 7%. And then it goes on down the line, you know, music, adult volunteers, school teachers, and the like. So parents, you have a powerful influence in your child's life, even if you may not think so. And just a couple more here. It says, uh, some research done by uh, some guys who, uh, Altemeyer and Hunsberger, also say that all of the different approaches to studying parental influences in the religious social socialization process converge on a single conclusion. Parents play an extremely important role in the developing religious attitudes and practices of their offspring. In fact, few researchers would quarrel with the conclusion that parents are the most important influence in this regard. Moving down to some, a couple more researchers. As we conclude our research by reiterating that the family is the most powerful institution in promoting faith in youth. The family atmosphere allows children to enter into a love relationship with God. We say this out of a conviction that, that congregations have erred in allowing the focus of faith development to shift from the home to the congregation or parish. Now, this research did not come from Lifeway, it did not come from Campus Crusade or any of those kind of organizations. This was done by secular organizations, secular universities, and those just simply wanting to have a curiosity about youth in America and religion. This isn't going to be easy, nor will it be quick, but it can be done. Now my role, as I see it, and as I described to Todd and the personnel committee, as I see this, is a little further about how this kind of works out and the logistics of it is. I see myself as teaching what I call, or not what I call, but what I've heard others call transcendent theology. I'll try a systematic approach to teaching the Bible. You know, uh, answer questions like, what is the biblical definition of love? How, what is love? The kingdom of God. 
and kind of give our, ch uh, our youth a systematic framework within which to work and which to interpret worldviews and, and how to read the Bible. Those who do the small groups and the mentoring throughout the week, I want to teach them how to do kind of the recipe theology. And that is, how do I apply this to real life? How do I apply this to my problems? How do I apply this to my successes as well? And my, uh, I'll also be training the volunteers who come in and are committed to this. It's going to be my primary role, although I will have a, uh, a group of students as well to influence or to be influenced by. I'm not sure which. No, I'm just but just, but that's kind of how I want to, just a quick how I want to lay this out this morning. It's going to be family-based and really purpose-driven. We will do things, evangel uh, evangelism events, mission missions, worship time, times of prayer, ministry, fellowship. But we're also going to be, our primary focus is going to bring in parents and help them be the primary disciplers and the evangelist. That's not to say that I won't have a part in this or the church won't have a part in this. It's just simply time that the youth ministry stopped focusing entirely on youth and decided to bring in the family as well. I'm not the most charismatic or dynamic speaker, as you've noticed, until I get comfortable. But what I want you to focus on this morning, and what I want you to hear this morning is this. If you give me the opportunity, I want to make it my goal that the students who leave here, that two-thirds of them by graduation will still want to be in the church. That is what I want to be my goal. And with that, I will uh, close out my message and turn it back over to Pastor Todd. Well, we've heard a challenge from Eric, and uh, he was sending some lightning down on me, I think, uh, as a parent. You know, when we think about incarnation, which is God in the flesh, sometimes we don't think about the fact that God lives in us, and that many times the incarnation becomes true also in us. And I appreciate Eric making that so clear to us. That we... I, I remember, guys, uh, when I was a youth minister back for church I was in, this lady came to me and she was so angry with me. She set me down and she started yelling at me, pointing her finger in my face and she said, It's your responsibility to make sure that my child loves Jesus! All I could think of was, well, they're only here an hour a week. 
I mean, yeah, it is responsibility of a minister to minister, but as Eric has shared, it's not the only one. All of us are accountable and all of us are responsible. We have an opportunity tonight, too, at the Gillens here, so um, hospitable and willing to let the youth come by and any, you know, if you want to come and have an opportunity to see Eric in a setting of uh, leading a youth meeting to share devotion, have some fun together, and just be able to get to know each other. Encourage you after church, we'll head over there. Be a good opportunity. See that as well. We have a time we call invitation, a time to respond to God. It, it may be, as you've heard Eric speak, that you need to come to the altar. You need to pray. You need to bow your heart to God again and say, Okay, God, here I am. I'm yours. Who knows? It may be someone here, as you've heard the message, has just come alive. Bam! I, I need to ask Jesus in my heart. And not just be at church. I need to turn to Christ. We're going to have this time at the front, and it, it's really for all of us to do business with God as He calls us. So I'm going to bow my head, pray, be at the front, and I'm going to ask you to come if God calls you and leads you to do business with Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for our brother Eric. I thank You for his heart for You. I thank You, Lord, that at some point, Father, You saw my need and You said, Todd, I love You. I provide life. Just say yes. And in Your mercy, I was able to do that. And Lord, that's the story of many of us. But maybe not everyone here. Maybe it could be someone's story this morning to say yes to the love and grace of Jesus to find new life. Maybe, Father, uh, You want someone to start fresh this morning. For whatever reason, your kids drifted away. It's not close to You being the influence You want. You are the God of new beginnings. Maybe this morning You are calling one to start new and start fresh. Father, bring us to the altar. Bring us to You. Help us to say before Your people what You're saying to our hearts, God, to cement that truth. Uh, Father, maybe someone here like uh, Daniel who had been thinking of You and trusting You and prayed to receive You and not yet come forward needs to come forward now to be baptized, to share testimony before God's people of a changed heart. I pray, Father, that the case, that this would be the time. Your Word says today is the day of salvation. Father, we just trust You. We love You, Lord. We're grateful for this opportunity. And now we just say, Lord, work. In Your name we pray. Amen.